Ruth chapter number three this evening, Ruth chapter number three. We're going to be studying tonight verses one through nine. God's plan for redemption requires us to have faith in truths that are sometimes hard to believe and to obey instructions that sometimes seem strange. I've entitled the study of this of the book of Ruth, God's Redeeming Love. Is it is a story of how God redeemed this, this lady Ruth out of her poverty, but more than that, how he redeemed her out of her sin. And God wants to redeem all of mankind. First Peter, chapter, second Peter rather, chapter three, says that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But in order for that plan of redemption to benefit us individually, we have to have faith and we have to obey. That's true of redemption for salvation. We must have faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins in order to be saved, even though that may seem strange. For a lot of people who hear the gospel for the very first time, it seems odd. To tell them that there is nothing that you can do to save yourself. There's nothing that you should do. All you have to do is place your faith in Jesus. There's no work of yours that can save you. That seems odd. That seems strange. But that is how one is saved. By placing their faith in the, in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We like to think that we can do something even if it's a small thing to help save ourselves. But the truth is... Only faith, apart from works, can save. But this is also true of redemption, that redemption and recovery from tragedy require us to have faith in God's plan and to obey instructions that may seem strange. But if we're going to enjoy the blessings of God in our life, then we must obey God's instructions, no matter how odd they may appear to our minds. And here in Ruth chapter 3, we find a story that, that illustrates this so well in verses 1 through 9. And I've entitled the lesson, Strange Obedience. Strange Obedience. Let's begin re reading in verse number 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee that it may be well? With thee, and now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man, until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be, when he lieth down, thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down. And he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, that is Ruth said to Naomi, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And she went down unto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? 
And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thy handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Here in these verses, Ruth was given instructions by Naomi that seem odd to us and quite likely seemed kind of strange to Ruth at the time as well. But those instructions were based on the truth of God's word, and by following those instructions, Ruth would receive a tremendous blessing. Her story should encourage us to obey God's word whether our flesh is comfortable with it or not. And in fact, it's at those times where our flesh feels uneasy that it's especially important that we be sure to obey God's instructions. Notice with me in our outline tonight, first of all, Naomi's instruction to Ruth. We read in verses 1 through 4 what she told her to do, but let's, let's, let's pause for a moment and kind of catch up to where we are in the story. In chapter 2, we find Ruth and Naomi have come back to Bethlehem, and Ruth asks permission of Naomi to go out and to glean in a field so that she and Naomi may have something to eat. So she goes out, and it just so happened, remember, we learned that nothing just so happens. It was a part of God's providential plan. But that day, she ended up in the field of a man named Boaz, who was a close relative of her father-in-law, who so had passed away. That's going to become a very important detail as we'll see in the story tonight. Well, Boaz was his name, and when he came in, uh, came back from uh, where he had been, uh, maybe in the city or something, back to the field, he noticed Ruth, began to ask questions, and uh, talked to her for a minute, and gave her permission, and rather instructed her and commanded her to keep coming back to his fields and gleaning there, and he would make sure that she was safe and that she had everything that she needed. So she went back home that night, and the Bible says that she had about an ephah of barley, which was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about 60 pounds of grain, a lot of food. And she tells Naomi about it, and she tells um, uh, Naomi that uh, uh, who it was, and Naomi is just overjoyed. Look at verse 18. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned and she had brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today, and where wroughtest thou? Blessed be the, he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, This man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. And so after she told Naomi all that happened that day, Naomi said, this is wonderful. This is, this is a huge answer to prayer, as it were, a great blessing. Do what he says. Don't go anywhere else. Stay with his maidens and glean, with, uh, glean in his fields. 
And the Bible tells us in verse 23 that that's exactly what Ruth did all the way up until the end of barley harvest. She lived with Naomi. She took care of Naomi and herself by gleaning in the fields. And so we come to the end of the barley harvest now. Everything's done. They're finishing up and they're going to be finishing with a great feast and a great celebration. And so on this particular day, Naomi pulls Ruth, uh, calls Ruth to her and, and gives her some instructions. You're to, first of all, go get cleaned up and then go down to the feast and keep your eye on Boaz. And later tonight, when he's done celebrating and he goes to find a place to go to sleep, I want you to go and I want you to lay down at his feet and uncover his feet, pull the blanket or the cloak off of his feet and just lay there and he'll tell you what to do. Does anybody else think that seems strange? But see, Naomi had realized that God had given them more than a wealthy benefactor in Boaz. God had brought Ruth into the path of the man who could rescue them from their poverty by fulfilling the law of the kinsman redeemer. Go back to the end of chapter 2 there. In verse number 20, the last uh, phrase, Naomi said unto her, the man is near of kin to us, one of our next kinsmen. Now, in order to understand the significance of that, we have to go back uh, further in the Old Testament to the Old Testament law and familiarize ourselves with something that was known as the law of the kinsman redeemer. Just to kind of give a brief summary of what this was tonight, God had made provision in the Old Testament for both the people and the property of the Israelites that they could be rescued from destitution and poverty through the nearest male relative of the person affected. Now, there were three specific cases that this applied to. First of all, let's turn back to Numbers or Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus is the third book of the Bible usually get to it in February if you're reading through the Bible in your year. And you read a lot about how to cut animals up and you wonder why in the world is this in here. Well, there's a lot of other stuff in the book too. And one of the things that we'll see here was the law of kinsman redeemer. Verse 25, Leviticus 25, 25. If thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some of his possession, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. And if the man have none to redeem it and himself be able to redeem it, then let him count the years of the sale thereof and restore the overplus unto the man to whom he sold it, that he may return unto his possession. But if he not be able to redeem, restore it to him, then that which is sold shall remain in the hand of him that hath bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the Jubilee it shall go out, and he shall return unto his possession. And if a man sell a dwelling house in a walled city, then he may redeem it within a whole year after it is sold. Within a full year he may redeem it. And if it be not redeemed within the space of a full year, then the house that is in the walled city shall be established forever to him that bought it throughout his generations. It shall not go out in the Jubilee. But the houses of the villages, which have no wall around about them, shall be counted as the fields of the country. They may be redeemed, and they shall go out in Jubilee. You say, well, what is, what is that talking about? Well, this was 
the first case that the kinsman redeemer law applied, and this was in a, a situation where a relative's property had been mortgaged due to poverty. So somebody, for whatever reason, needed money. They couldn't, fi- they couldn't raise enough funds any other way. They could go and they could sell their land or they could sell their home or they could just simply mortgage it, take out a loan against it. You might want to think of it that way and, uh, and it, and, and in order to get the money that they needed. Well, if that happened, then the next closest relative to that person had the right to go and buy what was mortgaged from the bank, quote-unquote. Now, the reason God did this is because for the Israelites, the land was very important. The, the actual dirt that they walked on and that they built their houses on was a, was a land that God had promised to them to be theirs. And so it was not to be sold or traded off to any other family. It was to stay in the family. It was supposed to be passed down from generation to generation. And so this was to protect the property, but also the people who were in poverty. So the kinsmen could come and they could redeem it, and thus the property would stay in the family and the person would get the money that they needed. The second case that the kinsman redeemer applied to was if a person had sold themselves because of poverty. Look at verse 47 here. And if a sojourner or stranger wax rich by thee, and thy brother that dwelleth with him wax poor, and sell himself unto the stranger or sojourner by thee, or to the stock of the stranger's family, after that is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brethren may redeem him, either his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him, or any that is nigh of kin unto him of his family may redeem him, or if he be able, he may redeem himself. And if he, and, and, and then I'm not going to, for sake of time, go through the, verses talking about how to calculate the payment. Just skip down to verse 55. Here's the reason for this law. For unto me the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I bought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So this second case would be somebody who was in poverty and in order to raise whatever money they needed, they sold themselves to be a slave or a servant to another person. In that case, their next of kin could come and redeem them buy them back out of that slavery uh, so that they would not be the slaves of foreigners or even each other. There was provision made in the Old Testament where a Hebrew, a Hebrew could not be made a permanent slave without their consent. They could choose to do that, but they could not be made a slave permanently. And why was that? Verse 55, because God says, you're to be my servants only. So here was the second situation. A person in poverty and they, they sold themselves to raise money, their next of kin could buy them back and redeem them from that. But then there's one other that's, um, let me give you the blank here, uh, sold into slavery due to poverty. But there's one other instance that's particularly um, pertinent to the book of Ruth, and that's found over in Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy chapter 25. Look at verse number 5, Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. 
If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate of the elders, unto the elders, and say, My husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. And the elders of the city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he take, and if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders, and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face, and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto the man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called Israel, the house of him, called in Israel, the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. So in this third instance, this is the third case of the kinsman's responsibility to redeem, and that was of a widowed sister-in-law who had no sons. In this case, if a man married a woman and he died before they had a son together, then that man's relative, next closest male relative, legally was supposed to marry her. And if they had children, the first son was to be named after the deceased brother so that his name would not be uh, cut off from Israel. Now, again, I know this seems strange to us because this is not our culture. And most of you ladies are thinking about your husband's brothers and thinking, whew, I'm so glad that's the case. But this was the law, and it was very important for two reasons. As God stated here, because he wanted the families of Israel to continue. He did not want a family in Israel to be cut off. So this was a provision to make sure that that happened, that they, that they carried on. But secondly, it protected the widows from poverty and destitution. And so there was a legal responsibility here. So this was, in a nutshell, the law of the kinsman redeemer. The next of kin had the responsibility to redeem or to rescue people or property from destitution. That's important now as we come back to Ruth chapter 3. Because what Ruth or what Naomi understood is that Boaz was one of those next of kin that he was the man who had the ability and the responsibility to redeem Ruth. It was the duty of the kinsman redeemer to rescue the poor and the widow from destitution and ensure that the people of God and the land which God had given them were perpetually preserved. So a very important part of their culture. Naomi knew this. Now, we don't know how much of this Ruth understood at this point. We're not told in Scripture. But here's the important principle. Though Naomi's instructions seem downright weird to us, they were founded on God's instructions to His people. It was based upon God's law. And therefore, they were good instructions. In Ruth chapter 3, we also find that Naomi's motivation was, was right. She wanted to seek rest for Ruth, and by rest she meant deliverance from her poverty so that she wouldn't have to spend her rest of her life wondering where her next meal might come from. She refers to her as my daughter, even though she was not her biological daughter, 
She thought of her as her own. And she took it upon, Naomi took upon herself the parental responsibility to seek rest and to seek the best for one's children, to help them get to the place in their life when they are experiencing God's blessing. Every parent has a responsibility to do that for their children, and that responsibility never ends. Even after the children are out of your home, you still have a responsibility to always be there to help them be in the place where they will find God's fullest blessings. Naomi took this responsibility seriously. Now, there would be a benefit to her as well, but it was not for her sake only that she told Ruth to do this. She was, furthermore, acting in complete reliance on God's provision of the kinsman redeemer. She was trusting in the plan that God had laid out in his word. She was going to fall back on what God said and trust God to provide for them through that. She stayed within the bounds of God's commands and she taught Ruth to do the same. And I see in this that Naomi is continuing to make progress in her recovery. She's now exhibiting greater faith and more obedience to the word of God. Now let's just briefly look at some of the details of what she uh, told her to do. She uh, reminded her that uh, Boaz was her kindred and uh, that he was going to be having the feast of the winnowing of the barley. That's where they beat it out and they separate the grain from the, the husks. So verse number three, here's the first instruction, super spiritual. You ready for this? Wash thyself. What'd she need that for? Well, she'd been working all day out in the field. She's probably in, in great need of a bath. That's why. And if you're going to go ask a man to marry you, you should have taken a bath first. He said, what? Wait. Spoiler alert. That's what happens. Take a bath, she says. Then you're going to go down, get dressed and go down to the floor, but don't tell him you're there. Make not thyself known until he's done with the celebration. Watch where he goes to lay down for the night. And then you're going to go in you're going to uncover his feet and lay down and wait. Now, some of us might be thinking, was this really appropriate? I mean, this seems risque, maybe, even. What she was being asked to do here, wasn't there at least a danger to their testimony in doing this? Well, let's just be very clear. There was nothing impure in these instructions at all. There are some who call themselves Bible scholars who have read some very impure and immoral things into this story that are not there. She was not going for any impure reason at all. She was going because she needed to have a private conversation with him about a very important matter. And she needed to be able to do that in a way that nobody else could hear, nobody else would know what was going on, both for her sake and for his sake and for their reputations and their testimonies. It needed to be done this way. This was not a deception. She was simply waiting for the right time where she could talk with him in private. And that's why Naomi told him to go in the middle of the night. And there was nothing that Naomi about this Naomi was encouraging her to do that, that was inappropriate. Now let me go on to say, very quickly, this is not a pattern for young people today. 
It's a very specific situation, in a very specific time, in a very specific manner. But back to really what I think is kind of the main point here as we consider this story. These instructions probably seemed a little strange to Ruth. And again, she'd been working that day and for many days. She was probably very tired. She probably didn't really understand all that she was being asked to do. And when you think about that, you realize how much faith Ruth had to have to go through with this. It was a good plan given by a loving authority and based on the truth of God's word. But it was strange. So what did Ruth do with this? Well, Roman numeral 2, we see Ruth's obedience. Verses 5 through 8. She said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. She immediately consented to Naomi's instructions. No argument, not even any indication of discussion here. She just said, okay, I'll do it. And then she went on, verse number 6, and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. Everything was done like Naomi said, and everything proceeded precisely as Naomi had imagined. Boaz was enjoying the celebration with his employees, his friends, his family. He was very happy, glad to be uh, at the end of harvest. They were blessed by this bountiful harvest. And so he went to sleep by the pile of grain that they had harvested. Ruth came quietly. Again, she didn't want to attract attention to herself or to him to cause any kind of a scandal. She came quietly. She laid down at his feet, which, by the way, it was, cust- it was very common for servants to sleep near their masters on an, on an occasion like this. He's sleeping out in, a, um, out in the open. Maybe there was some kind of a shelter, like a we might think of like a picnic-type shelter-type thing, a pavilion, but all of the grain was underneath here and it was open. There were people you know, scattered all around, not in the immediate vicinity. But she goes and she lays down does exactly what she's told to do. And we will see what happens as a result. Your next blank, what Ruth did might seem strange and even radical to some, but redemption requires radical obedience. What do I mean by that? Well, for Ruth, if the law of the kinsman redeemer was going to be used to her benefit, This was the way that she had been instructed to seek that. And when we think about God's plan of redemption, the world may think it's strange. And they may think that it's radical for a person to turn from the way they've been living and to turn to Christ. But that kind of radical obedience is what brings us to salvation. The world may think that it's radical to live a life of total surrender to God, but that Only that radical obedience is what will bring lasting joy and satisfaction. So radical obedience is necessary for redemption. And as a Christian, obedience is not optional. What I mean by that, of course we can say no and we can disobey, but if we do that, we're going to pay the price. We're going to suffer the consequences. When God tells us to do something, we're obligated to do it. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. A lot of people today are trying to to teach that 
if you focus at all on the commandments of God, then you're a legalist. That you have, you have disregarded the importance of the relationship with God because you're talking about obedience to God. As if the two were mutually exclusive. No, Jesus said, if you love me, that's relationship, keep my commandments, that's obedience. And every relationship is bound by certain rules. We understand that. A marriage is bound by certain rules. We call them the wedding vows. Okay, when, when, when bride and groom exchange those vows, what are they doing? They're making promises and commitments about things they will do and won't do for the sake of that relationship. And you break those rules, the relationship is not right. Obedience is necessary. If we are not walking in obedience, then we are not in right fellowship with God. 1 John chapter 1, verses 6-7, through 7, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sins. Ruth's obedience. I can't help but think that Ruth, Ruth must have been a little nervous when she came to the feast that night. Put yourself in her position. How would you feel going down to that celebration? How would you feel as you sat there and watched everything going on, listening? Maybe people are singing and cutting up and just having a good time. And you see Boaz mingling with his employees and families and friends. I just think I'm probably going to be kind of nervous if I'm in her position. She probably had butterflies in her stomach as she was watching Boaz throughout the evening. When she saw him start telling everybody goodnight and start making his way off to the side, I can imagine that she was probably getting a little jittery knowing that the time was approaching that she was supposed to fulfill Naomi's instructions. And I, and I point this out to say this. Some might have mistaken that nervousness for a lack of peace. But it wasn't. Unfortunately, our, our definition of peace, when we talk about having the peace of God, about doing certain things, unfortunately, we equate our emotions too much with the peace of God. They're not the same thing. Let me say it this way. The peace of God is not the absence of nerves. It's the assurance that God is in control and His plan is the best plan. You may be as nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof of a dog kennel. But you can still have the peace of God if you know what God has said. Because if you know what God has said, and you know that God's plan is the best plan, it gives you the courage to have radical obedience. Okay, I'm really nervous. My flesh really doesn't want to do this. I would rather be a million miles away from here right now. But I know this is the right thing to do. I'm going to do it. And so, Ruth's obedience ultimately led to number three, which is Ruth's proposal. Verse number 9, Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night 
and he asks a very perfectly logical question. Who are you? He, he knew that she wasn't there when he lay down. And now he wakes up and to find this person laying across at his, you know, below his feet. And I love Ruth's answer, Ruth chapter 3 and verse number 9. I am Ruth, thine handmaid. All right, direct answer, honest, it's who I am. And, and they, were, they were acquainted, they knew one another, obviously. And then she said, will you marry me? Now, the way she said it was this, spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. I know that doesn't look like will you marry me to us, but you have to understand what she was asking. This goes back to a, a Jewish custom that was done during the wedding ceremonies. At one point during the wedding ceremony, the, uh, the groom would, would, would take his, his coat or his outer cloak that he would wear, which was usually an ankle-length garment, very full, and he would, he, would, he would open that up, and as a part of the ceremony, he would, he would spread that over his wife. So he would put this over her shoulders, drawing her into himself, and it was, as a part of the wedding ceremony, it was intended to signify that the groom was taking the bride into his protection. And the picture there is like a mother hen who spreads her wings out, over her chicks in order to protect them. That's the picture, that's the imagery here, that spread therefore thy, when it says skirt, he wasn't talking about, you know, wasn't wearing a kilt or anything like that. He's talking about the edges of his long flowing garment. But a similar picture was used in the book of Ruth to describe how Ruth had placed her trust in God. And this actually came from Boaz in chapter 2 and verse number 12. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. That's the same imagery here, only Boab doesn't, Boaz doesn't have feathers, so we have to say, spread therefore thy skirt. But what she was doing, this is what she was doing, she was asking him to fulfill his role as the kinsman redeemer, marry her, and rescue her, from poverty and destitution. You say, well, that's kind of bold. And let me say to all of the young ladies in here tonight, I do not recommend that you propose to some young man in any fashion. That's all I'm going to say about that right now. But for Ruth, this was the right thing to do. And she stated her reason for such a bold request when she said, Thou art a near kinsman. And again, that's going back to the authority of the Word of God. He was one of the ones who had not only the duty, but the responsibility to re rescue her from her poverty according to God's law. And Boaz understood exactly what she was asking. As we see in the verses that follow, which Lord willing will cover in the future. And furthermore, he understood Ruth's character enough to know that she was not there for any selfish or sensual reason. Now, I got, to, I got to thinking about this, and I really believe that this was probably the biggest of all the steps of obedience that Ruth had taken. It was bigger than the step of obedience going out to glean in the fields. It was as least as big as leaving her home 
so that she could stay with Naomi. I mean, she, what she did this night risked her personal safety, her reputation. She could have been rejected by him. She could have been falsely accused and punished for this. We can invent any number of possible bad endings to this story. But because Ruth had put herself under the Lord's wings and followed his plan, she was safer right there that night than anywhere else. She had faith in God and her strange obedience proved it. James 2.18 says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. If you have faith in God's providential plan, then you will show that faith through obedience to God's word, even if the thing that God is asking you seems strange to the point of being absurd. It might even make you nervous thinking about what God is asking you to do. But you must not let your flesh decide for you. God's greatest blessings come when we obey God no matter what. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the examples that you've given us in Scripture of men and women who had strange obedience. Abraham obeyed you, left his home to go somewhere, and he didn't even know where he was going. He carried his son to the top of a mountain and fully intending to sacrifice him in obedience to you, though it seems strange. Noah built an ark. And we could go on down the line thinking about men and women who obeyed what seemed like strange commands, but they did it because they had faith in you. Lord, I'm so thankful for our Savior who obeyed and came to this earth and died for our sins. Even though to us the plan of salvation seemed strange, it was necessary for our redemption. Lord, I pray that the next time we are asked to obey and it seems strange, the Holy Spirit will remind us of this story tonight and the example of our Savior and that we will walk by faith and obey no matter what. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.